The following audio is from Cross Life Church in Tampa, Florida. We are a church that exists to help people find Christ, their place in the body, and their mission to the world. Our calling is to raise leaders and plant churches. So if you live in the Hudson area or near Wester Chapel, you can also check us out at one of our other locations. For more information, visit us at crosslife.net. All right, well, we are in John chapter 4. And last week, Tony took us from verse 9 or 10 through verse 20. And what I want to do this morning, I didn't listen to Tony's message till, I, till after prayer this morning. I'm driving home, and I'm listening to your message, and I'm going, oh my goodness, that's everything that I have in here that I'm kind of running through. But I felt like it was necessary just to back up and to just, just to slide us forward through these events, because I think it really helps us focus in on what Jesus says in verses 20 through 24 to the woman. One of the things I appreciated what you said last week is that Jesus didn't just go out of his way, but he finished. I thought that was so good. He finished. So often God nudges us, and he nudges us with a purpose. He has fruit that he wants to be born, and that can't happen unless we finish. All right, well, Father, this morning, we just need to be able to hear your word, speak into our hearts. You know where each and every one of us are in life. You know the truth we need to hear and be reminded of. So I pray that you do that this morning in Jesus' name. You know, for me, looking at this, uh, what I caught as Tony's, listening to Tony's message, you, you get that he's, he's got the evangelist in him. He's got this gift of evangelism and soul winning. It just kind of comes out. I could hear it everywhere where he's talking about. And for me, what is encouraging as I look through John chapter 4 is really to get to see the heart of God uh, through his son. Because John really brings out in the beginning of Jesus' ministry uh, that he is not just out to bring the wayward Israel back to where they needed to be but he actually has come to seek and to save the lost, all who are lost. You know, I got to thinking that if you've ever questioned yourself to think, did God really seek me out? Did God really, you know, did, was it just a random chance of events or did God just really seek me out? so that I could know him and find life. Uh, I can answer that for you. Yes, he did. How he does that, far beyond me. How all over the world, the Spirit of God is nudging people toward him. I mean, just think about it. How many of you were living the life, you just living the way you wanted to live, how you wanted to live? And then somewhere along there, you know, maybe life begins to fall apart. Maybe you just don't have the peace. Maybe you're questioning, and then just by chance, just by some chance, someone comes along and starts to tell you about Jesus. That's not random. That's God nudging you. It's God using people to nudge you to where you need to be. And we need to know that when we're out, and we are encountering people, that's the very thing that the Spirit of God wants to do through us. He wants us to nudge, to be used, to be nudgers. 
right? Jesus did come to seek and to save that which was lost. And you really see that in the story, just the compassion that Jesus had and the grace and the love that he had toward uh, humanity. So two weeks ago, I think the very last verse I said anything about was that Verse 10, where Jesus said, if you knew the gift of God and who it was that asked you, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. And so this woman, like most of humanity, is ignorant of three important facts. And, and I use the word ignorant not in a, in, a, in a derogatory way at all because there are a lot of things that I am ignorant of. I just don't know about. I don't have a. I lack the knowledge. I'm not aware, uneducated. I'm uninformed, and that is the way that I'm using this word, not in a negative way. And this woman, uh, she was not aware. She was uninformed about who Jesus was, of what Jesus offers, and of how to receive it. And and that I can tell you is just the gospel in a nutshell. The gospel in a nutshell is really who Jesus is, what he has come to what he has come and done to offer and how we receive it. And so Jesus is just like with Nicodemus, just like with the woman, he's really trying to help them see truth they need to see. And so Jesus encounters this woman and we know that he sought her out. And here's the thing that he was he was nudged. He was prompted, just like we are. He was prompted to, that he needed to go through Samaria. When he goes through Samaria, he sees this woman. He has, she's a lost soul. He under, it's, 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 it's uncanny how that we can get to places and we go, what? I don't really know what's going on here, but I know I need to be here. You're just in this conversation. You're around someone and you know that you're there and it's a divine appointment you need to be there and so he he understands that so he just really begins to open up this simple conversation with this woman with this in mind helping her know these three truths who he is what he's offered and how she can receive it and and the interesting thing is that as he begins this conversation she's kind of She's trying to deviate from the conversation for varied reasons, but Jesus, what I love, is he just sticks with it. He's intent on helping this woman see these things. And I, the reason, so that she could know the life that he's offering. And his intentionality was not just her life, but the lives that she would affect. And we see it later on in the story, how she goes into the town and she just, she's a little evangelist and the town comes out. And through that encounter, there is a harvest of people brought into the kingdom of God. And I think this is important to know. I mean, that this is the similar conversation again that Jesus had with Nicodemus. And it's important to know because I think it was a few weeks back we were in conversation and Doug made the comment, uh, the ground is level at the cross. In other words, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So it doesn't matter who you are. You need Jesus. Jesus has come for you to know him. So just don't think that, uh, like Nicodemus, you know, hey, this is the way that I've always done it. And with Jesus, it's new. It's different. There was an old covenant. 
It was this old agreement God had with humanity through the nation of Israel. Now there's a new covenant that he has with humanity through his son. And everyone needs to know that. He says to Nicodemus, here's the thing that you need to know. You must be born again. This is what you need to know to find life. This is what you need to know to be able to see and even enter into the kingdom of God, to be able to have this right relationship with the Father. And today, uh, there is nothing that has changed. I mean, our world around us has absolutely gone crazy in so many ways. Uh, people casting off restraint, uh, people not caring about other people, people only wanting what people want. You know, it's been like that through humanity from the beginning. It's worse for us, for us in our time, in our situation where we are, it just seems more rampant. But really, concerning the gospel, the power of God to save, nothing has changed. The message is the same. We don't have to deviate the message. The power to save, to bring people to salvation, is in the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That that's not changed in any way. The, the, the method is still the same. People need to know who Jesus is. They need to know why he came, what he's offering, and they need to know, how do, how do I get that? That's what humanity around us needs to know. And so Jesus is pulling this woman into this conversation, and he's pulling her in this conversation so he can see, so she can see really what her true need is, and it was a spiritual need. So like Tony said last week, you know, he said, the woman said, Jesus offered living water, and she said, well, okay, uh, well, give me the water. You know, this is going to be a great deal. I can, I can have this water, and I can have my thirst, my thirst quenched. But Jesus, again, is talking about something different. Living water back in the day, they described as water that would bubble up from the ground like a fresh spring. They would call it living water. But Jesus says, no, the living water that I am talking about is the gift of the Holy Spirit that springs up in an individual's life. Now, we don't know that from the context right here, specifically, but when you bring in John 7, 37 and 39, which Tony did last week, that Jesus says, let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. By this he meant the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were later to receive. Now, here's a principle that I think and something that we need to understand is sometimes you're going to read something in Scripture and you're just, it's going to be a head-scratcher. What in the world does that mean? And often in Scripture, uh, the writer doesn't explain in full. See, we need the full gospel. We need the whole of Scripture that paints the picture of God's heart intent for humanity. As you read the whole of Scripture, it answers a lot of questions. You read just a, you read this right here, and you'll go, okay, you, okay, what does that mean? But as you read on, read on, continuing praying, asking God to help you understand, this is important when you first become a believer, and no matter how long you are a believer, you got to know that God's not holding back, he's going to continue to reveal who he is to you. He wants you to know. And so he qualifies this, that living water meant 
the Spirit of God whom he would give. And so Jesus is needing really to get to this woman's real need, the thirst that she has in her life. So he diverts and asks her a question. He says, well, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go get your husband. And we learned, she said, well, I, I don't have a husband. He goes, that's right, you don't. Uh, you've had five, and the one that you're with is not yours. And what he was doing is he was trying to bring her to a particular place to see that her need was spiritual, not physical. And so, to me, I think when he does this, it causes the woman just to be really vulnerable because she gets to think, uh-oh, uh, my, my life is kind of being brought to the forefront. Jesus is telling her, hey, what you truly need, what your thirst is. And we learn that through here this thirst that he's talking about is a spiritual thirst, a spiritual need that she has, and it's not physical. And so in my mind, uh, he was saying, look, you have a thirst, you have a need that you're trying to satisfy and have been trying to satisfy through physical relationships when you actually have a spiritual need, and that spiritual need is a relationship with God. Any thoughts about that specific thought right there? Does that sound reasonable? Anybody else have anything else besides that? Well, just kind of backing it up a little bit, you know, I've said this a a few times, but you know, it's so true that every time you have an encounter with somebody and God's, the Spirit of God's talking to you to approach that person or whatever, we know from Jesus' own words that we only know who Christ is because the Father revealed it. So I believe that when the Spirit of God is asking you to speak to somebody, God is already, already working in their life, even if it's just beginning. So and this is something that I think we all work on, but when God talks to us to approach somebody or to say something, even if it doesn't make sense sometimes, I think it's very important that we do it. And down the road one day, we'll, we'll see. Mm-hmm. But yeah, That's God's good. always working in the lives of people because with, what's it say? The cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. So without God working in someone's life, you could preach to them until you turn blue. Nothing will change. But once a once the Father reveals that to an individual, then they need people to speak to them mm. because they know there's a burning desire with inside of them, but they don't know what it is until someone tells them. Mm, that's good. Somebody else? Good thought. Scott? I just want to... Reiterate what Tony said last week. Um, conviction is the key to take to take the living water. I mean, if we don't have that conviction, how are we going to know who Jesus is? We have to take the step forward, and we have to ask ourselves the question: Do we want temporary, or do we want forever? Mm. You know, I, I've always heard uh, the difference between conviction and condemnation. You know, the devil uses condemnation. He tries to put you down, which pushes you from God. Spirit of God uses conviction to help you see what's wrong and gives you a sense that he can help. So conviction from the Spirit of God actually, initially it's like, but it's a drawer. 
Because he keeps, like Jesus, he just kept on with the woman. But it changed me when I'm a new believer and I'm starting feeling these things that push me from God. I'm going, okay, that's not the Lord. The Lord doesn't do that. What the Lord does is try to help me see, to draw me to him. You know, I got to thinking that uh, you can look up online, uh, you know, uh, it's not new, it's old, really. What are the basic needs in humanity? What are the basic needs of man? And you could probably boil them down to a few. Uh, you know, there is physical, you know, food, clothing, shelter. There's a physical need that humanity has. There's love and belonging that is something that man needs. And there is self-worth. There, there's the need to feel valued. That's in man. And there is a need to find fulfillment, to find a satisfaction that is in your life, to satisfy your life. And when you, put, you look at these four together, you could say it this way. They are physical, social, emotional, and spiritual. As much as you try to push away the spiritual, you just can't because God has put a void in the heart of man. And so it's just innate in man. And so often when you find people that are uh, not believers, you're gonna try, you'll find one or more of these ways of trying to satisfy your life, trying to fill a void because there is a void in their life. There's a need in their life. And it seems like this woman, uh, she was, had this huge emotional hole in her life. And so when Jesus presses in to this woman's real need, this spiritual need, it's interesting how the conversation shifts, and Tony brought it out last week, is she just tries to distract him. She just like wants to change the subject. Uh, yeah, I don't want to go there. And I love what Jesus does because he just keeps pressing in. He doesn't get distracted from the woman. Uh, trying to move in another direction. And so her response to him is, well, well sir, well, I can, I can see that you're a prophet. And then in my mind it goes, well, and if that's the case, you're a, you're a prophet, well, let's argue this point. So here her life becomes, kind of starts to come out. And this is like, uh, this is like evangelism 101, you know, you think about this, through the prompting of the Holy Spirit, you're engaging someone in a conversation, and as soon as the light starts to shine on their darkness, that's enough of that conversation. I mean, I, I, I don't know if I've ever had anybody where the light started to shine on their darkness and they just spilled their guts. Usually it's, it's, it's uh, this natural response is, I don't want you to know that about my life. But Jesus' necessity is, is to open up their life so that they can see their life, so that they can see their need, so that he can speak to them, that he can meet the need that they have in their life. And I think that is so wonderful about this. So anyway, she, she begins to change the conversation. Okay, well, you're probably, well, well, our ancestors, you know, they worshiped on this mountain, but you Jews claim and you can almost hear the animosity in there. You Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. And he says to her, Woman, believe me, 
a time is coming and now is when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know for salvation is from the Jews. So basically he's saying to it, you think you know what true worship is, but you don't. Now, this is pretty, pretty forward. It's, it's pretty direct toward this woman. And he basically says, look, to wor- the true worship of Jehovah, it's been brought through the Jewish people. So, like, we know what we're talking about. You worship what you don't know. I like the NIV, uh, New Living Translation says it this way. You Samaritans know very little about the one you worship. It just focuses right on you Samaritans saying, basically saying you have completely missed the truth about what, what constitutes true worship. A right, this, you don't even know what a right relationship with God looks like. And I think mostly because, historically, the Samaritans, they held on to the Pentateuch, the first five books of their Bible, and they dismissed the rest. Well, look, if you just hang on to the first five books of the Bible, there's a lot you're going to miss. There's a lot you're not going to know about God. You're not going to see the the long-suffering of God through human history. You're not going to see God's intervention in human history through the prophets. You're not going to, you're just so much you're going to miss. And so basically he's telling her, you think you know what it looks like to have a right relationship with God, to worship God? You, it's like you're missing too much to really know that. And think about it today. You know, there are just a lot of people out there, and, and not in a wrong way, they believe what they believe. They know what they know because of where they have been. And so just put yourself in their place before you came into a right relationship with Jesus Christ till you were born again, till you knew for sure your name was written down in the Lamb's Book of Life, till you came to that point. Your, your belief system was off. You didn't have all the information you needed. You needed to know more. And so this is what I love about the heart of God. All of us in our life, our need to have a greater understanding. What is he doing? Well, he's given us avenues to know that. You know, he's not hiding. Like I said some weeks back, you know, how he reveals himself through creation, through our conscience, uh, through his word, uh, through Jesus, you know, he's constantly, he's giving, he's, there's all these things that are constants that we can tap into that are available that he's given for us to know and to be brought into this right relationship. So again, <coughs> he says, you lack a full revelation. And then he says, we worship what we know. Now, this whole statement out of the New Living Translation says, you know what, you Samaritans know very little about the one you worship, while we Jews, we know all about him. And then I love this next statement, and yet, (laughs) and yet. So he has this conversation with Nicodemus, who Nicodemus should have known, but didn't. He has a conversation with the woman at the well, which he knew she didn't have, and she didn't. And then he transitions to say, and yet a time is coming, and now has come, 
when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship him in spirit and in truth. Any thoughts so far? Any comments? Uh, Aaron. And I find it interesting in, in that exact <clears throat> verse, uh, her being a Samaritan woman and talking to a Jewish man, um, her entire life and all of her interactions with Jews would have been a, an attitude from the Jewish people that um, salvation is for the Jews. But Jesus doesn't say salvation is for the Jews. He says it's from the Jews. So that's, good. So that's a huge shift that I, I perceive she picks up on because that's kind of the that animosity between the Jews and the Samaritans, right? Is the Jews had this this idea and this they they lived their lives like they were the chosen people. They were better, almost almost kind of like a racism in a way. Um, and he kind of just does away with that with one word. It's from the Jews, and the, the implication in that is that it's from them to you. He doesn't exactly say that, but... Mm -hmm. And I also find it really interesting, like we were talking about Nicodemus for a while, and Nicodemus is this high-ranking Jew, and he's seeking you know, to figure out if Jesus is the Messiah, and Jesus never really actually says, I am the Messiah to him. But yet he reveals that to this woman. Oh, that's good. Someone else? Doug? Yeah, I mean, we talked about that the other day, is that the revelation of who he is to this person, who not only from a Jewish perspective, but from her own community would be the lowest. I mean, she couldn't even go to the well with anybody else, right? And you talk about God's intentionality. You know, Jesus is, they're going up, they're going back north to Galilee, and you're right there in the river. Low country, you walk along the river, there's food, there's rest, there's, it's a river, right? There's a lot of, but he's like, no, we're going to go west and go up this mountain area to where the Samaritans are. And they're like, what? Well, for, it's completely out of the way. It's completely, and he's like, and the intentionality is, no, I need to go there to meet this woman at this, you know. We understand that, I think, in hindsight. Um, <clears throat> but, but more so that from the Jews is, you know, the Savior is from the Jews. Mm. Christ has to be Jew, right? He had to come from somewhere at some That's, point, right? Right. Right. Anyone else? All right. Okay, go ahead. Yeah, I just wanted to add um, from the the question that you did um, before that the relationship that one that God wants want He wants to He wants a relationship with us, and to me that is big because we know we're gonna have so much tribulation in this world. But having God in our lives is going to be so much easier to go through all that stuff. And um, 
Yeah, so that's that's what I just wanted to add. And I just wanted to serve God. And you, I know he's going to be in front of me to help me. Because I don't remember the in one part of the Bible that says that he's going to be holding our right hand and we're going to be holding his right hand. That means that he's, we're going to have happening in front of us to help us in everything that we're going to do. He's also going to be on our side. Yeah. <laughs> That's good. You know, it's, uh, it's interesting you help someone that doesn't understand anything and you get them in place to embrace that God created all things. And then to get them to the next step that the God that created all things knows you. That just kind of blows your mind because of how many billions of people and that he approached you. Now, it's really hard to, that's really hard to kind of explain out. But we know here, right? Because he's touched our heart. He's t- it's, see, it's not a natural thing. That's not a natural occurrence. That's a supernatural occurrence. That is an occurrence that is brought about by the Spirit of God in our lives. Now, I don't know about you, but that's just, that's wonderful. So he tells this woman, look, um, I know that you've been taught. You know, we say we worship here, you worship there. We worship here, you worship there. But a time's coming when that is not, that's, and it's, it's here. That doesn't matter. So he transitions, and he's basically telling her, saying that her that the, that place has become irrelevant. That place, a place, has become irrelevant in worshiping God, which would have caught her attention because um, if you were to tell a Jew it doesn't matter where you worship, they would they would vehemently deny that. As a Jew, worship took place in Jerusalem at the temple through sacrifice and offering, that's how worship occurred. And Jesus is going, hey, well, just so you know, uh, time is coming and now is that worshipers will worship God in spirit and in truth. And I think sometimes this, can, this phrase is simple. It's pretty easy, uh, at least in my mind as I go through, if you can kind of understand a couple things. First of all, the word in is translated to be underst- or understood as by means of or through. So true worship's going to happen by means of or through the Spirit. It's going to happen by means of or through truth. So it's, it is stated here that, uh, you know, often these are the, your scratch-your-head things, but again, as we read through the letter, what we come to understand is that to worship in spirit and truth means to worship the Father through the Son in the power of the Holy Spirit. And I think we get the truth part, you know, because it's plain enough. I mean, here is Jesus, the coming of Jesus. He is the truth. He's the way, the truth, and the life. And it all centers on what he has done, this truth. We understand this truth. God, uh, Jesus trying to help Nicodemus understand that he must be born again to see her into the kingdom of God. There's this necessity of what needs to take place. And how does that take place? It comes through believing in the Son, that truth. 
but it is happens not in this natural way, but in this supernatural way. It's, it's an event that occurs through the Spirit of God being born again. He tells, um, Nicodem- Jesus tells Nicodemus in John chapter 3, verse 6, he says, that which is born of the flesh is flesh. Right? That which is born of the Spirit is spirit. So there's a natural birth, and there is this spiritual birth. And what needs to take place is you need to have this spiritual birth. You need to be born of the Spirit. So this idea of what the truth of what Jesus has done and knowing that and embracing that and then the Spirit of God doing what He does in our life, which is give new life, this is where the worship of God comes into play. This is where a right relationship with God takes place. Knowing this truth, knowing who Jesus is, what He's done, and receiving that. You are born again. You find this new life. You're new creatures in Christ. Our spirit's been made alive by the Spirit of God. We have been given this new spiritual life through God's Spirit that unites us, that allows us to connect with God, to worship God in the way that He has intended. Any thoughts? I like this. It says that uh, Jesus tells her that there is an hour coming. In other words, there's this time that is coming. Matter of fact, the time is now. And basically, in my mind, it's Jesus saying, uh, now comes something new. Now comes something new. And again, uh, for the Jew, uh, this is how it was. This is a covenant that God has established. But he, all the way through the Old Testament, was pointing to something in the future that would happen, that would be new, that would be different, that would change everything. That we see all the way through. I've said it so many times, there's like this crimson thread that runs through the Scripture, and that crimson thread is Jesus, the promise of Jesus, the promise of what, how, uh, the promise of God setting the world right. That is all the way through there. So Jesus says to her, hey, there is a time coming, and that time is now. And it's interesting because this woman says, um, now I know, yeah, okay, it's like, oh, 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 I've heard that before. (laughs) See, I know this. (laughs) When Messiah comes, he's going to He's going to tell us all things. And basically, when that time gets there, we learn that Jesus says, uh, well, I am Messiah. So she knows that when Messiah arrives on the scene, uh, there'll be clarity. And it's interesting to me that when Jesus speaks to her about this, so so you know that the, uh, the Samaritans and the Jews, they both focused on these external factors of worship. You know, it was, they had conformed to these outward regulations, observed these rituals, and offered sacrifices. And at the time that they were doing that, they did what they knew. This is, how, this is what I do to make sure that I'm okay here. And Jesus is going, well, there's going to be another time that's going to help that 
that is going to be clear is about this is what you need to do to be okay. And he's going, that time is here. And so I love this. Uh, some other translations that come into play here that I like. Uh, it says, uh, she says that when he arrives, talking about Messiah, he will tell us everything we need to know and make it clear to us. So this woman knows this. Another translation says, when he arrives, or the, uh, another one is, uh, this is also confusing, confusing. Uh, but I do know what you're saying right now and everything. It's, it, okay, this is confusing to me. But I do know that the anointed one is coming, the true Messiah. And when he comes, he will tell us everything we need to know. And I love this. I think it's the Message Bible. When he arrives, we'll get the whole story. <laughs> that one I love. See, when Jesus arrives, we'll get the whole story. Because there was always the mystery the prophets prophesied about a time and a place and a person and didn't have clarity about it. So when Jesus comes, we're going to get the whole story. And so what does Jesus do? He just responds to her and basically he says, I, the one speaking to you, well, I'm him. In other words, I'm here. I'm making it clear. Here's the, here's the whole story. This is what you need to know. And I love this because when we're in conversation with other people, like Keith said, sometimes we don't, you know, we're just prompted to say certain things because God's all along been working on them. And I can tell you right now, God all along has been working in this woman. This woman has been questioning her life. It, okay, I don't mean to be, don't take this the wrong way, but like if you've had, if you're on your sixth husband... If the five before you haven't died from natural causes, uh, you know, I just, you got to wonder, right? I don't know if I told you there was a lady, she was going to be married her seventh time. She says, she said, I'm telling you what, and I'm going to get married and stay married to prove that it was never me. I was never the problem. And I'm going, six ahead of you, you mean you were wrong nowhere? There was an issue, right? There was something in your life. And so, all of us, before we come to Christ, there's something in our life, there's something that we're hanging on to, there's something that we're trying to fill, and we're trying to fill it in the wrong way. If we don't know Christ, we're trying to fulfill it in the wrong, we're not fulfilling it right, because He is the one that meets all of our needs. And so, Jesus meets this woman, engages the woman in conversation, confronts the woman, and even allows the woman to give pushback. But he continues to the point so that the woman can know the truth, so that she can see who he is, what he's offering, and how she can receive it. And it's in that moment that woman's life has changed. And just think about your own life, because this is how this works in all of humanity, Right? Somewhere along the line, you don't know Christ. There are questions that arise. There, there can be moments, these lucid spiritual moments maybe. And you wonder about stuff. And then you might go for a long time. And then that, there that moment is again. And then it's like that moment gets closer and closer and closer and closer in time because God is dealing with your heart. 
And finally, you get to that place where through a process of not understanding, not knowing, maybe frustration, maybe heartache and despair, it can happen so many ways, but at some point, God's got one intention, and that is to bring you this place to have some clarity so He can help you so that you can be rescued from the thing that is destroying your life, and that is separation from Him. And so it happens with us. So you got to know that when you are in the world around, it's, it's interesting, when I brought my son over yesterday, uh, he's just got done uh, going through school for three years uh, to be a nurse anesthetist, to do anesthesia like uh, uh, Harrison. Uh, it was coming, it was slow. And um, I said, you know what, we just need to pray for you. Uh, so why don't you come over to the house? We got the family together. And we prayed over him because he's got done with school, had like two and a half months off, and now Monday he starts work. And I asked him, I said, uh, so we got some ideas about how to pray for you, but for you, your heart, what is in your heart? He said, I want to be a light. He said, really, if you think about it, I'm, I'm going into an environment that is dark plagued by materialism, egotism, you know, there just can be a lot of things that are in there. And he says, I don't, I don't want to lose who I am. I don't want to lose my witness. I want people, I, I want to bring hope where I am. I want to bring light where I am. I, I want you to pray for that. I don't want to lose who I am. I don't want to lose what God has dropped in my life in that environment. And so, for all of us, I think it's so fitting that that is for us, all of us in our heart today, that as we're in this world that is getting darker and more corrupt, that we don't lose who we are. Again, I said a couple weeks ago, Jesus was in that environment, and he didn't just stay in the environment and keep his mouth shut. He was in that environment of darkness, of immorality, and he said, you know what? If you knew the gift of God. If you knew the gift of God, and I think that's where we need to be today, just purveyors of the gospel of Jesus Christ.